What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? Hero Bread serves up 0 to 1 grams of net carbs, 5 to 11 grams of protein, and high fiber in every delicious serving. Made with natural ingredients, Hero Bread supports gut health, promotes weight management, and helps maintain blood sugar. Hero also drops other limited edition ultra-low net carb goodies like rich, flaky croissants and buttery brioche slider rolls. Head to Hero.co to shop today. Hello everybody, my name is Ray. Welcome to the Evangelical Dark Web. Today we're going to be talking about how John MacArthur, despite you know the stance that he's taken on COVID and lockdowns, is still a pietist, which is a sad but nonetheless unsurprising development that he's kind of still doubled down on a lot of these, in my view, incorrect beliefs. Now I have a lot of respect for John MacArthur, uh, his teachings, his legacy, his ministry, Yet I do have some very key disagreements with John MacArthur, and his pietism is one of them. I am very much opposed to pietism, anabaptism, and R2K, radical two kingdoms theology. These things I just think are bad. They're bad for the church, and I think they're bad for society at large as well. So these are some distinctives between me and John MacArthur. Again, I like John MacArthur, but I'm not a MacArthur bro, but I'm not a MacArthur hater either. I know people in my audience are probably on both sides of that extreme. And, you know, we're just going to be honest and going to have to be honest in our disagreements as well. So we're going to play some clips from John MacArthur's recent appearance on the Babylon Bee podcast. And a lot of what he said was good I'm obviously going to highlight the areas where I have disagreements with him because I believe some of what John MacArthur says is factually incorrect. And also, we can point to scripture on counterexamples that kind of undermine his point. And of course, we can always point to church history that undermines the points that he's going to make. So, the, we there are some things that I want to discuss, but I do want to say the interview was overall good. I do have three clips that I want to show you where I have some distinctions that I want to make. But first, I want to let you know, Evangelical Dark Web is a Christian news gathering and commentary ministry. You can support us over at evangelicaldarkweb.org slash join. We have a lot of stories that we're working on and stuff, so you should definitely support us there. That's our Patreon-like system that gives you access to more content like free articles, and you might be able to join a live stream soon enough. More on that to come. So anyway, uh, but the least you can do, the least you can do is like this video, subscribe to the channel or podcast if you are new. Those help with the best with the magical algorithms. So here is the video from the Babylon Bee podcast. It took place about uh, three or four weeks ago. I just got around to watching it yesterday after seeing a viral clip. Uh, the other week, so I've been sitting on this story for a while, but I wanted to watch the whole thing before I, you know, reviewed it. So here we are. This is clip one. Statement you made was Christ, not Caesar, is the head of the church. Right. Now, what about state overreach that doesn't interlope in Sunday morning services? You famously have the unpopular stance that the American Revolution was unbiblical due to Romans 13. Do Christians have discretion? to push back or not be subject in areas that don't involve Sunday worship? Or is it just the church where Christians are allowed to not be subject if the church is being intercepted by the yeah, government? What answers that question is the reality that we are to obey the laws. 
We are to be model citizens. So you, you don't start a riot. You don't start a rebellion. You don't start a war. You don't start shooting people. You don't march on capitals. And you don't overthrow the powers that be. None of that, none of that is acceptable Christian conduct. We submit to those authorities. We pray for the salvation of our leaders. But we are model citizens. If there's going to be a change, you know, there's only two possibilities. Either you can change laws and therefore change men. Or you can see God change men and therefore change laws. Mm. And the, the latter is the only way to make a difference. We, we yeah. want. So that is clip number one. So I want to address some of the issues that I had. I'm going to go backwards because at the end there, he presents a false dichotomy because that's what that was. The idea of using laws as a gospel, uh, as a means to advance the gospel versus using the preaching of the church preaching of the gospel in the church to advance the gospel. That's a false dichotomy. All these things can happen at once. And the order can sometimes go either way. Uh, you can see a society where Christianity has an outstretched influence because Christian laws are working towards benefiting the church, benefiting Christianity, and aligning the society to punish their pagan evils. Like, this is one way that the law can work, and historically, that is how the law has often worked. Uh, there's kind of this notion that, you know, it's just the, the local church that preached the gospel, and that's how Christianity conquered Rome. And it's like, not entirely, because the answer, because the question is then, what happens when one of those civil servants ex repents and believes in the gospel and is baptized? What are they then to do? How are they then to govern? They're to govern according to Christian standards. So that's kind of one of the lost aspects of the whole Christian nationalism debate is that a lot of people think that, you know, the alternative prevailing you know, wisdom of the previous generation, which was wrong because it contradicted the, you know, prevailing wisdom of our forefathers. So we've had sort of like a 40 to 60 year kind of uh, pause on Christian thought to kind of embrace um, kind of embrace this classical liberal approach to uh, politics. And you've seen that in the church. However, that's not, you know, that that's not what Christians have historically believed and Christians didn't have the luxury to believe those either. So, you know, we don't really believe in a neutral society because society can't be neutral. It's either working for God or working for Satan. Which one is it going to be? So what do we do if someone actually believes? that That's something that matters. And that's the false dichotomy that he uh, makes at the end. Now, Christians don't start rebellions. Well, historically speaking, that's not really true. And we could cite a number of examples, but the example that I'm going to cite right now is the English Civil War, which had two main causes, um, Protestantism and taxation. So basically, Charles I was a tyrannical king who illegally taxed and was also opposed to Protestantism and the reformers. Uh, especially those in Scotland. 
who did take up arms against the crown. So that was, you know, one justified instance of Christians rising up in rebellion to the state. And that ultimately was one of the, in, in Scotland was ultimately the precursor to the, the war in the English civil war, which was a bloody war. But nonetheless, so many other questions are raised. What happens when people in civil authority violate the law like Charles I did? What happens when that happens? What happens when someone underneath them, a lesser magistrate, takes up arms against their superior? Which person do we follow? Do we follow the, the highest governing civil magistrate or do we follow our local civil magistrate? So these types of questions, there's not really clear answers to. So this kind of simplistic thinking by John MacArthur here isn't backed historically by the church. He can try to make a blanket statement about it, but it's not exactly, I don't think it's biblical. And again, you also see instances in the Bible where the people rebelled, uh, you know, specifically if you look at the, you know, the book of Judges, the judges were delivering the Israelites from their captors. From the people who were overlords over them. Those were rebellions. So that it's not a, I don't think that's a biblical standard. Like there is a standard which Christians should, can revolt against the government. I think it's most biblical when you're following a lesser magistrate in doing so. But this is a whole topic for another story, for another video, longer edition but the simplistic view that John MacArthur has isn't a correct one. It's not historically backed by the church. Um, and it's a unique view to him that the American Revolution wasn't biblically justified. Now, again, I use the English Civil War, which is the precursor to the American Revolution, to make the point that I just made. So anyway, uh, I want to show you the next clip, which had more, again, we're going to have uh, I have another disagreement with this clip in the scripture that will further enforce my disagreement from the last clip. So this one comes a, a minute and a half later. Parallel situation in cold, cold, snowy Moscow, Idaho, there was a proactive protest and expression of First Amendment rights. And some of the protesters were arrested for not showing IDs. They had showed up to City Hall during the, lock during the lockdowns to sing hymns in protest. Is that a fair parallel to what happened with Grace or is what happened with Grace different because the government was interrupting our Sunday morning worship and we were just being reactive? Is the proactive versus reactive, does that make the parallel incomplete? Yeah, I think, I mean, I'm, I'm not gonna say you, you couldn't do that or it's wrong, but there's nothing in scripture that encourages believers to protest government. Um, but to live quiet and peaceable, godly lives, pray for your leaders, uh, let, the, let the sanctification of the work of the Spirit in the church be made manifest. So that the church affects the culture, not by marching on City Hall and carrying placards. The church affects the culture by its virtue, its godliness, its holiness, its prayers, its compassion. And when it is the church, then even though society doesn't like it, it is a restrainer. It, it is, it, it is a, a, 
It is a source of good in the midst of evil. It, it balances off the inevitability of destruction. So the church, in order to be the church, it has to be more than just open. It has to be transformative, which means it's not just the meeting of the church, but it's the living, breathing members of the church in society that make the difference. Amen. So that's the end of the second clip. And I again, there's a couple things wrong with that as well. The idea that scripture doesn't imp- encourage public protest. He doesn't want to, you know, take a dump on the Moscow people. And that's good. I'm glad he didn't take a dump on them. But uh, the idea that there's no scriptural precedent for, you know, kind of making a public protest or using that, uh, I'm going to pull up Matthew 14. Uh, We're going to read verses three through five here. Um, For when Herod had John arrested, He bound him and put him in prison because Herodotus, the wife of his brother Philip, for John had been saying to him, it is not lawful for you to have her. Although Herod wanted to put him to death, he feared the crowd because they regarded John as a prophet. So this is an instance of John the Baptist, you know, who Jesus says is like the best person who ever lived, taking a public witness not exactly living a quiet and peaceable life there, it, it, you know, with how John MacArthur interpreted uh, that passage. Um, that was 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 he being a pu- quiet and living a quiet and peaceable life by going up to Her- Herod and saying you can't have your brother's wife. Not exactly, because again, living a quiet and peaceable life is a little bit more complicated than how John MacArthur paints it. And we have a clear counterexample. That's a positive example. Like John the Baptist is a positive role model in this instance. He is standing up to the civil magistrate and calling out his sin. And that is often what protests are. Now let's rewind the clock a little bit on John MacArthur's history with lawful protest. And it's not exactly a fun history. It is a history in which John MacArthur held the cloaks of the police officers who arrested Christians who were protesting um, the infanticide going on, specifically in the state of California. This is prior to the FACE Act, and Christians had shut down baby killing by chaining themselves you know, in front of you know, the Planned Parenthoods and stuff like that. This was shutting down the abortion industry. Yet, John MacArthur justified uh, police officers arresting them. And that's his history with protests. That is a bad history on that issue. I don't know if John MacArthur had ever admitted that he was wrong about that. Again, this is like before I was born. But that's history. That That's part of John MacArthur's legacy here. So it needs to be pointed out. What's the easiest choice you can make? Window instead of middle seat? Picking a vendor who sends a great gift basket? Outsourcing business tasks you hate? What about selling with Shopify? 
Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage, Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash try. Go to shopify.com slash try now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash try. Um, I do have one final clip, which is, I, I think, uh, better than the other two, especially on the end. Um, I, it's a little bit longer, so, but it is, uh, I, I do have, again, I, I had three, three clips where I had some disagreements in a 30 minute interview. Now in your book, uh, of course you co-wrote it with Dr. Nathan Busnitz from the master seminary, right thinking for a world in chaos. The early chapters gesture towards storm clouds of persecution on the horizon. We accept and acknowledge that that can be a part of the Christian life, but of course, those of us with small children don't relish the idea of future generations being bereft of the wonderful privileges and freedoms we've had in this country. What is the practical to-do for Christians who want to try to safeguard a future for their children? Is it something approximating Christian nationalism where you band together and create laws that are recognizably Christian, or is it something quieter and uh, just a quiet faithfulness? What's your take? Well, first of all, you have to start with uh, what the Bible says. And the Bible says that things are going to get worse and worse, not better and better. So it's not likely, unless you're a, a post-millennialist, you know, unless you believe things are getting better all the time, which is not what Scripture says. Um, if, it's, if it's difficult or nearly impossible now to make such laws, why would we think 10 years or 15 years from now it would be easier to make that? Like, it's going to get better. It's not going to get better. Evil men get worse and worse. So um, it really doesn't matter what the government does. In a, you've got to get off that train. And you've got to say, I am a part of the church of Jesus Christ. Mm. So how do, you, how do you protect your children in the future? By having them in a church where the word of God is exalted, where Christ is lifted up, where God is worshipped where the pursuit of holiness is manifestly the pursuit of the congregation, where there's compassion and care, clarity about truth. The church is the pillar and ground of the truth. The protection for families in the future is not going to be the government. Mm. It's not going to be the government because eventually, according to all the prophecies, the government will turn on the church. Mm. Uh, the government is always the persecutor because they're the only ones who can put people in jail and kill them. You know, your neighbor can't be your persecutor. He can't come over and shoot you or he's going to go to jail. So government is always the ultimate persecutor, and they've shown that they're willing to do that. So you've got to get off that train, and you've got to stop thinking that there's a solution with them because that's not the trajectory. And you've got to find the church which is most faithful, most sound biblically, where you have godly leadership, and I look at my kids, I have... Uh... I want to pause right there. We still have like a minute left in this clip. Uh, but some of the issues that I had there is like, you know, the idea that only the government can be a persecutor. Well, that's not really true. 
Uh, you can certainly have paramilitary persecutors. I mean, you, you look at what's going on in Nigeria. You look at what goes on in countries where terrorist attacks target churches. Those aren't governmental agencies persecuting Christians. So that's a factually wrong claim that he makes. And I think the idea, you know, of cancel culture being weaponized against Christians, I think that's a real thing. That's a real phenomenon that also shows that, you know, persecution doesn't necessarily just come from the government, especially in a day and age where the government and corporations combine together. They collude. So... I don't think that's right. You know, the idea that, oh, your neighbor can't persecute you because he'd go to jail if he tried to kill you. Sure, but that's not a good argument. I don't think that's a good argument. I mean, you're dead, so you're still persecuted in that scenario. Um, so I, I definitely didn't see that. And then he wants to frame this as a eschatology debate. And the idea that, Things only ever get worse? Is that true in church history that things have only gotten worse? Because that's objectively false. You have you have had times where things were on the up and up. You think about the people who settled and founded the United States of America. You know, the pilgrims that came over. Things got better for them after they were already here. So... These things, things can get better. Laws can improve over time. The idea that we should just have a defeatist attitude, well, things are only going to get worse. So I guess, you know, let's not even bother. Which, by the way, is not how most premillennial dispensationalists are. Most dispies are actually much more involved in politics than, say, post-mills or even ah-mills. A lot of people in the ah-mill space say, hey, city of God, city of man, they adopt a very, you know, uh, two kingdoms approach, you know, not even focusing on politics. That's like more your average considering again, Catholics tend to be more amil. So, uh, you know, and that's reflected in their view on politics as well. They separate the two. They compartmentalize the two. Evangelicals don't. And we're the lone bulwark of, you know, holding back the moral insanities because we don't say things are only going to get worse. And it's not a dispensational premillennial thing. That is a MacArthur pietist thing. That is a mentality that's in MacArthur and a lot of his followers. That is not whole cloth a descriptor of dispensational premillennialists. Now, I disagree with dispensational premillennialism. Well, let me defend them right here. They don't all think like that. And there are some post-mill people, but I, I, I want to say post-mill is the smallest camp. Uh, like, Dispy pre-mill and ah-mill are probably the two largest. And maybe historic pre-mill is the third. I don't know if there's any surveys or data on this, by the way. I'm just going off of observation. Uh, but dispens you know, dispensationalists, number one, by far, and most of them aren't like that. They certainly don't vote, vote like that. Um, and they don't share MacArthur's views the idea that things can't get better 15 years from now, that is the loser theology. That's the loser mentality that, you know, was, you know, we, we talked about Nathaniel Jolly taking MacArthur out of context. Well, this, um, in, in that sermon, he definitely did. But this was not a good answer. 
The idea, you know, so here's what I believe. I believe that all areas, all spheres of governance should be firing on all cylinders for Christ, for the glory of God. That means your family is a Christian family, your church is a Christian church, and your government is a Christian government. All three. And then yourself, this self-governance, self-control is, you know, a fruit of the Spirit. So self-governance is a real thing. All four spheres of governance firing on all cylinders for the glory of God, for the advancement of the kingdom. That's what I believe. The church owns their role. The government owns their role. The family owns their role. And you own your role. That's what I believe. You know, the all of Christ for all of life mantra. But, I, you know, combine that with the doctrine of lesser magistrates and interposition in the sphere sovereignty. That's, you know, historically what John MacArthur opposed until uh, three years ago. It's been three years. Wow. Um, then when he didn't, uh, when he changed his mind on these issues, but he didn't completely change his mind. And that's why we're doing this video. So I'm going to let him finish because this part at the end is pretty good. Four children, 15 grandchildren, five little great-grandchildren, three and under. Mm. And people say to me, what about the future? And I say, I'm so excited about the future because they're in churches where they're being led to the truth of God, where they're coming to know the Lord, and this is their time. Mm. I have no fear for them because this is God's time for them. Mm. But I would say, you don't want to leave them exposed. Mm -hmm. And you have to think beyond even the church. And I think parents are going to have to think this way in the future. You're going to have to think seriously. I mean, really seriously, not just a passing conversation about Christian education and homeschool education. Mm. Or, you're, or you're literally going to turn your kid over to a brainwashing process. <sighs> well, uh, and I've heard about the sweet tradition of you bringing the great-grandchildren up to your office after you preach. So that is the final clip that I want to say. And I, and I end on a positive note because that's the whole clip. Um, I end on a positive note for John MacArthur because what he said at the end was very helpful. And I want to highlight that the pietists, pietists generally aren't that helpful when applying Christian ethics. You, know, you look at someone like John Piper, for instance. He is someone, you know, that is Anabaptist pietist mentality. Again, it's a Venn, it's a Venn diagram that's kind of a circle. Um, so he's in that kind of sphere. And that's, it, it just is one of the reasons why he's extremely unhelpful and can't, up, he's basically the engineer that can't tie his shoes when it comes to Christian ethics. John MacArthur, a lot better than John Piper, I would say. Uh, he doesn't justify voting Democrat like John Piper does. But John MacArthur has been large, you know, isn't very helpful when it comes to Christians engaging in the public sphere. But what he did talk about at the end there was a Christian ethics issue in which he knocked it out of the park and, the, and said, maybe a little bit late, though. I mean, it's not the bravest stance in 2023 that you should look into homeschooling, look into Christian education, and you can't really trust public schools anymore. That's not really an edgy uh, talking point in 2023, but that was correct. And I want to point that out. Uh, I don't know how long or whatever he's been saying that or not been saying that, but I just want to point out that was correct. 
that was sound wisdom for engaging in a sphere outside of the church. Because that's, you know, John MacArthur inside the church, inside the four walls, inside the sphere of the ecclesiastical sphere, he's solid. But when he talks about, say, the civil magistrate sphere, not very solid. Um, obviously, that's not the most important sphere for a pastor to have. So we can still enjoy John MacArthur. But those are my disagreements and, again, some praise. Um, but anyway, that's all I got to say about this. My name's Ray. This is the Evangelical Dark Web. If you like this kind of content, uh, do subscribe and like also. Let me know what you think about what I think, and I will catch you on the next one.